Hi, and welcome to the 50th episode of Real Trail Talk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Donovan D'Souza from The Long Ways Better. And I'm Mark Pybus from The Life of Pi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've made it to 50. Um, I know we had our doubters, my mother, one of them. Oh, really? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I doubt she's listened to it. Actually, no, I know she does listen to when she's crafting, but we've made it. I mean, I know we've mentioned before most podcasts don't get to 20 episodes, so getting to 50 is kind of a, a fun thing. Definitely, yep. Um, so congratulations to us. Yay! Ready? Hey! hey that. We're uh, sponsored by Fermented Grapes tonight. As always, actually. As always, yeah. <laughs> um, so for our 50th episode, we thought we'd have a bit of fun, and uh, we over the weeks we've been reaching out and asking for your questions. So we have a good list of them, some serious questions, some not serious at all. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's start with uh, the first one, which is about hiking socks. And how many days do you wear them and how many do you usually take on a, let's like, say, a multi-day hike? I think this is where it's going. Yeah, so I think for me it really is how long it is and how much other stuff I have. And sometimes I've regretted deeply my decision to pack less. I would prefer a socket, a pair of socks a day, mm. but generally it becomes every two days. Sometimes every three days, <laughs> but generally two days. And I deeply regretted not packing a second pair when we did the the walk in the Blue Mountains recently, in the um, the Gross Valley walk, because I. Um, <laughs> We, we walked through puddles and I had this squelchy socks to walk in mm. and I won't share the photos publicly, but I did share them with you and Bonnie and yeah. a few other friends and they were like, oh God, no. I remember those. <laughs> uh, it, I don't recommend it. So the reason why I don't recommend it is that if your feet get all uh, wrinkly is that they create more surf surfaces for cracks and I was, I think if I walked in that for another day, I would have had very bad blisters. And I have not had blisters in years. So uh, do not recommend doing that. So, you know, pack enough socks to mm. avoid having to wear wet socks. Because it was in Forrest Gump, wasn't it? When he goes off to Vietnam and that was one of the things like always have fresh socks or something. Yep. I think I remember that. Um, but for me, I used to pack a lot of socks. Um, so maybe one set every two days and by set i mean i used to wear the ingenie toe socks and then a thick pair of woolly socks over the top but now that i've switched to trail runners i just have the toe socks mm. and on my last trip they were lasting me three four days because with the trail runners if you step in a puddle which i was wading through knee deep puddles sometimes they're dry within i don't know not dry, but you don't get that squelching within like 50 yeah. meters of leaving the puddle. So that's probably why I don't need them so much anymore. Um, and I've yeah significantly dropped my pack weight and space um, because of that. But I mean, unless they really, really, really smell and you're starting to annoy other hikers, just go with what works. Yeah. So I think, I think three pairs is probably a good rotation for that will be basically scalable up to as long as the trail is because it always takes at least two days for your socks to dry and you'll always have a dry pair that way so i think that that's probably like I, the most i would ever pack hmm. so like if there's all bridges and stuff everywhere and you're never going to get your feet wet then yeah 
maybe one pair is enough. Yeah. But uh, in Tasmania, where they go, no, this here's a creek. You're gonna have to walk straight through it. Yeah. Nah. Pack many. Yeah. Um, and in terms of sleeping, if you're a really cold sleeper, I can recommend the heat holder socks. Yeah. I've invested in a pair earlier in the year, and oh my god, they are fantastic. It's basically like wearing an UGG boot, but in, oh, a, okay. in a sock. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I I get really hot when I sleep, so not for me, but in Gross Valley, I was like, damn it, why do I have these soggy socks? Yeah. I'm so <laughs> cold. Uh, um, I guess we'll get the the angry questions out of the way. You did when I walked in. You say, "Are there any questions that get me angry?" I was like, "Yes, yes." I'm gonna do some desk banging. And this is not a new new desk. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is one. Why did they burn? Just burn again in Wellington National Park. <sighs> I'm gonna uh, go no no comment for this one. Uh, I'll let you take it. <laughs> so I I think. I will direct you to the blog posts that Mark and I wrote about this, and I direct you as well to the episode that we recorded about the trail there and the issues that we had. So we're talking about the Wilman Villa, and I think you... you they think that they're, they're doing something which is protection of property, but I don't think that other things are valued, and I think that the way that things are done is a bit heavy-handed. We have been invited to go have a look and have a talk with DBCA, which we haven't done as of yet. We just haven't had the time. Uh, you know, I, I would like to go and chat with them. I don't know what we're going to get out of it other than maybe a re-education camp. No. <laughs> um, but I think for me... It's a real shame because this area is fantastic. There's, a, you know, there's a lot of value there that could be amazing if it was let to be natural. Mm. Um, but they, you know, the, this is this is the orthodoxy that we live in, where this is the way that things are done. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem with the burning. It's just the method of the burning. Because yeah. having walked. Um, around Shadora recently you could see like if you got to the edge of the four-wheel drive track where they started burning and you could see it was a light burn this is where they done the burning by hand yeah but then you go further in and this is where they drop it from um, planes and whatnot and it just mm. it gets completely out of control and is actually very counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve because then the canopy burns and then drops all its dry leaves down on the ground and you now have more dry leaf litter so I think if they were just to walk in the area, do their perimeter burning, but that's their burn, mm. and then have a green canopy and just burn the leaf litter, that would be fine. But it's just the way they go about it, and it, it rarely is under control because they don't call it control burns anymore. But it's just trying to light up as much as you can for the cheapest cost, and it's just it's ruining the state. And, yeah, uh, I don't think we should probably go on <laughs> anymore because we've, we've <laughs> we made could go points. on for an hour on this, yeah. but you know we've. I, I also direct you if if you if you want to have a bit of a laugh at this sort of thing, I direct you to the the Carmel Walk on the Long Ways Better. So if you want to have a bit of a laugh at at prescribed burning, how many more ways can you say burnt? Yeah, at least I, that one's trying to protect assets because it's in the hill. Exactly. So like I and I do say that you know like it's next to houses, hmm. but. Is Wellington National Park that close to houses? No. I don't think so. 
Okay, we'll get on to a lighter question. I think this one was probably more directed at me, but you can answer as well, Don, because you are a foodie. Mm. What is your favorite type of pie? Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so um, my favorite type of pie would probably be apple pie. I do make a mean one. And I remember as a kid, I didn't really... It wasn't the pie per se, but if they didn't have an apple slice at the bakery and we went around Australia, I would get an apple pie. I just There's something homely about it. I enjoy it. Awesome. Mm. Yeah. What about yourself? So, <laughs> I think the the best pie is the pie that you eat at the end of a hike. <laughs> um, I had a fantastic one at the end of the Gross Valley hike. But if I had to pick, like, you know, an amazing pie, it could be anything. Mm. So, once I made a Lissa, it was, I think it was, it was a rabbit and truffle pie like black truffle so (laughs) very very expensive um something like that would be cool anything truffle is really great you know like it could be a mushroom pie but just Mm. put some truffle in there it'll be amazing Mm. um yeah but you know for me i'm i'm not that fussy i do like when the pastry is really good i find a lot of bakeries don't do really good pastry yeah but the one that's outside of Walpole, I, I recommend. I was going to ask you about that. Is this the burnt jarrow pie? The burnt jarrow <laughs> pie. It's, it's not called that, but that's what I call it. You know, I recommend that, that one. That, so it's sort of east of, of Walpole. Um, I recommend the one that is in, um, I think it's called Wentworth Bakery in the Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, but yeah, at the end of a hike, I think any country pie bakery is good. I'm going to disagree there because I got to the end of Dwelling Up to Collie okay. and I went to the bakery there and their veggie pie was like, I think I've mentioned this before, <laughs> it was just cauliflower and broccoli. I was like, mm, no thanks. But we've had a friend, didn't Bonnie say if that was the pie that she ate at the end of the hike that she'd be pretty happy with that? Yeah, probably. Bonnie's, But Bonnie eats Brussels sprouts. Like I she like takes Brussels them sprouts. out hiking. No, but she takes oh, yeah, them out she hiking. Does. Yeah, I know. So that's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, eats her capsicums like apples. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but congratulations to Bonnie because today she finished her full through hike end to end of the Billman. Yep. So her second, her second, second end to end. But this was a continuous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question is: What is your dream guest for the podcast? This one got me thinking. I only just told you this before we came on. But John Chapman. Ah, oh, that's better than my one. I have no idea if he's still alive. He's still kicking about. I think he is amazingly. Because oh, yeah. on his website, he sometimes says, we will be out hiking. And it's just like, how? Yeah. You're so old. Because for him, like, he's mapped and hiked pretty much almost everything in Australia. I'd just love to get his thoughts on... Like why he started doing it, um, what's his favorite hikes, that kind of thing. And I'm guessing he has just a wealth of stories that he would be more than happy to share. So maybe we should reach out and try and get him on the the podcast somehow. I think it'd be pretty difficult, but if we could, you know, I'd be I'd be keen. Yeah. Okay, so my pick, I think your pick is better than mine because I would love to get John Chapman on. Um, but there's a guy named Cam who has a hiking blog called The Hiking Life. And he, I think he was the first person to do a calendar, uh, triple crown and he's an Australian, but he lives overseas Mm -hmm. and he's done everything. You know, he's in a lot of ways, a bit of a hero to me, um, by what he's achieved in hiking. Um, 
he's done everything. He's done the Bill Man, he's done the Cape to Cape. Pretty much every walk I've ever wanted to do, he's probably done. Um, I just would love to chat to that guy and just find out why, you know, he what led him to lead this life where he's completely, you know, given into this as his as his line of mm. work almost. Um, and also someone like um, Wired would also be cool. Yeah. Um, who you know, just to to talk to them about what it is that that gets them going with these really long trails, these really big projects that become part of their life for such a long period of time. So yeah, those those are my two. But John Chapman's a definite. Yeah, I know we've talked about getting Jesse Brampton on the the podcast. Yeah, I think that would also be cool from a Billman perspective. Yep. So, yeah, there's a lot of them. I, one of my goals. Uh, I probably shouldn't mention it because just in case it never comes true, and it's highly unlikely, highly likely it will never come true. But I've been trying to get Daniel Ricciardo. I think every year I'm going to make a push towards the end of the Formula One season to try and get him <laughs> on because he's a Perth boy. He enjoys his mountain biking and his fitness. So I think it'd be cool to, to get him on. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that is a big dream. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next question is, how do you keep clean slash bathe on multi-day hikes? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, it really depends. So if you're doing certain sections of the bib where there's, like, for example, between Donnelly River Village and Pemberton, I think it's quite easy to get clean because there's water near every campsite almost. Mm. Um, Not so on other hikes. You know, other hikes, it's very difficult. Um, and in Tasmania, yes, there's water, but oftentimes it's freezing cold. So, you know, I have foregone being clean. So my thing is, it's not that important to me because you're out hiking and you smell, everyone smells. Mm. Um, but if I can, it is nice to get clean. Yeah. Uh, for me, the one thing I don't like in winter when you don't have to put sunscreen on. I'm not that fussed if I don't wash down or, you know, run some soap over myself or whatever. But when I have to put sunscreen on, I really hate going to and getting into my sleeping bag with like that sunscreen feeling oh, on you. Yeah. So what I've been doing is you can get the hotel soaps, um, the little ones, and they are amazing for hikers because they're really light, they're really small, and they dry out really quickly. And so I just get my towel that I that I carry, and I just kind of wet that a little bit with the soap and just run it over with me. And I mean, it's just something about that getting clean feeling. Um, and then you're in camp, and you can kind of enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Mm. I hate kind of being sweaty and gross after a hike. For me, I think it's less the uncleanliness than the heat rage that I get when it's hot. And so the water is more like a a refreshing bre- break from it. So like yeah. when we just went to Darwin, um, every time there was water, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> like I actually, I took off my shoes, but I walked straight into the water in my hiking gear because mm. I was like, it will dry by the time I get back to the car. Yeah. Um, and that relief is great. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, the just wiping your face down with water is just like a rejuvenating sensation. Fantastic. Yep. Okay, what is your favorite photo that you've taken out hiking? That's a tough one. I've got, you know, quite a lot that I'm 
happy with. Mm. Um, but one that I really like is there's there's two that I took two variants of of Alyssa walking in Hancock Gorge, and I've used those a fair bit. And I just really I, I like the composition. I like the red rock and the water. Mm. Um, love Karajini. Love Alyssa. So yeah, that's one of my favorites. Uh, I think Karis, you've scared Karis with that photo quite a bit. There's the one where it's like the ledge looks like the drop off is twenty thirty meters. Is that one? That it looks a bit about? like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So for me, I don't know. I think the the shot I took of Boarding House Bridge. Um, as I was leaving the next morning to go off to Beavis. I'd seen that shot, and that's one of the reasons why I did that section first, is I wanted to see that. Mm. Um, so as much of a, not a cliche or a stereotype, but a, a, a shot you see from that section quite a bit. I think it was Inspiration Outdoors posted it first. I think that one I'm quite keen on. And I'm actually going to do that in a mosaic on a stepping stone as my first kind of arty project. That's really cool. Um, over the summer. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that stuff arrives this week and I can get cracking on that. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, this one came in from a long-time listener. How do you find slash research hikes when visiting a new city or place that aren't the like the tourist traps or the, the ones that everyone visit? It really depends. I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a of a junkie for like guidebooks, so I'll often buy them. I'll look at other people's blogs. Uh, so I'm going tomorrow to New Zealand, and I'm I have a very short amount of time because I'm there for work. But I was like, what can I do in in Auckland? And I happened to buy the hiking and tramping in New Zealand Lonely Planet mm. for our trip at the end of the year. And I saw, okay, Runky Toto Island looks like a good one to do as a day hike. So that's how I picked that. Mm. Um, when we've gone to Tassie, you know, it's looking at blogs. So, you know, looking at, if you went to the just the government website, they wouldn't have recommended, for example, going to Mount Amos or going to do the Times Shelf Circuit. Mm. So read blogs, read and see what people are, are writing about. Um, you know, we do it. So, you know, you, you got to see what, the people who are local to the area are writing about um and then yeah that that's how you find out and so but then you know sometimes the the classics are the great ones you know like i think to do something like the kumara circuit i'm so glad i did it before the fires that went through lamington national park mm. um uh, the worry circuit in um springbrook is, is a must do Legrand, as we talked about in the last episode is the classic walk to do there and it's great so i think don't don't always just assume that the the tourist ones are going to be not that good um but definitely do your research blogs and books are are great Mm. yeah same so normally my first point of call is google and trying to search but then i find it harder these days with the like the listicle articles that are coming out where i call them empty calorie reading because it's someone that's literally not done the trails or whatever and they've just posted a, a random list. So that's not really going to be like your best hikes around Melbourne or whatever. Um, and the, the internet kind of, it's, you really have to dive deep sometimes. So I remember we were in Europe and I was like, right, what's some good day hikes around Geneva? And the one they end up doing was like some really weird, obscure... Um, blog that had done like a million hikes around Europe but like it was a very short write up two photos I was like 
some rough directions to get there. I was like, okay, I'll do this one. It turned out to be fantastic. And if I had the photos, which I might get back in the future, it looks epic. Um, mm. But to have like this tiny little thing that looked like came from GeoCities <laughs> back in the <laughs> mid-90s. Um, yeah, it was weird. Um, and again, like guidebooks I find a bit hit and miss. Um, if, they're written, if they're written by John Chapman, they're good. Yeah, but then sometimes you're like best walks in or like Tassie day walks or whatever. I've got one and I did a walk and I was like, the four photos that they used show nothing of the trail. Mm. It's like trees and a flower and something else. I was like, this is nothing. So, I mean, you can get a, a good idea of what's out there with guidebooks on the internet. Um, but I guess there's not really much in terms of the long way is better or the life of pie for every single destination you're mm. going to. I think um, that's a really good point. I think that I should clarify and say that with with that with the guidebooks, re- reputable authors. So there's there are people who, out there who write really good books, like Glenn Tempest writes really good books. John Chapman writes really good books. Um, there's a few others out there who you know I if I see that they have said it's a good then I'm probably a bit more inclined to believe them. Mm. And also know your author as well. So if John Chapman says it's a moderate hike, it's probably going to be extremely strenuous. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So moving on, what are your thoughts on the hiking and trail running draft strategy document that was released? So I'm optimistic that something will come out of it. But I'm also worried that I'm going to be 50 by the time anything happens. Because I think that we've got a lot of strategy and not a lot of happening. And also, I just think beyond what they've talked about, there's a, there's there's no scoping study. So like Tasmania, they, they did something like this in the 90s. And then not long after that, they had a scoping study to find projects that were worthy of being made. And I really underscore worthy because I think we often think Oh, it's near Perth, therefore it's good. But the state is huge, and we have some of the best landscapes in the country. And I think that some of the best stuff is not going to be near Perth. It's going to be up north. And, you know, I think there's a view that, oh, it's too dangerous sometimes with things like, why is there no walk in the in Karajini? Why is there no walk in the Pilbara? I mean, be outside of, of Karajini. Why is there no walk in the Kimberley? There should be, you know, there really should be a multi-day in those places. There's so much land up there. There must be a week's worth, even like four days worth of excellent terrain that's worthy of it. Mm. And I really hope that this is the beginning and that we will get that next step, which is the scoping study. Because that's, that's why we got the three capes. It's why, to a degree, that we got Frenchmen's. Because Frenchmen's didn't quite make the cut, but then... Dick Smith said, here, have some money. And they went, okay. (laughs) And they did something with it. And I think once you know the projects that are worthy, you know, underline that, Mm. worthy, that's what people will want to do. If you make a worthy product, people will go and do it. Why is the Cape to Cape, you know, a good hike? Because it's worthy. You know, there are sections of Bib that I don't like, but it's a worthy, there's a lot of sections that are really worthy. Mm. And that is what will get people to come and i really hope that that becomes the focus in the the next stage and i hope that this is the foundation for that to happen 
Yeah. So having been actually involved in the discussions to put this document together, I'm a little bit pessimistic coming out of it. Um, the document itself is amazing and it, it provides a lot of optimism for trails in WA. It's like, this is what we need. This is the market. This is how we could pen- potentially um, achieve it. But the issue in WA is the advocacy for trails. Mm. Um, and by that, I mean the groups that are or are in a position to push for um, funding for these trails or potential scoping studies aren't powerful enough and don't have a bigger voice or aren't connected well enough to get people to, to listen to what's going on. Mm. I mean, I compare what they're doing up in Calbarry and they've spent $24 million on a skywalk. That kind of money would never get spent in hiking because no one's really pushing for it with a big enough voice. Yeah. Um, so that kind of makes me a little bit pessimistic. As much as we can say, all these people are hiking, we need more trails, this and that, until we get someone to, to actually be in a position where they can say here's 20 million dollars go for your life Mm. um as good as we are getting with dwelling up in collie investing a few million and then 10 or 11 million that needs to be multiplied tenfold over the entire state for us to actually try and catch up to the rest of australia and the world in terms of trail development Mm. so i mean we've got a good start with the document but this should just be step one on many many steps um Mm. but we can't do it without funding and i don't think there's a group or a person at the moment within wa that can make that happen Mm. i I think that you make a really good point and that and i just want to be clear that this is this is a an informed point of view that i think that western australia is far behind the eastern states that there's a bit of an arms race over there for trails Mm. And we are probably a decade behind them, if that, if, as you say, like, if, if, if from a, a more optimistic viewpoint that this is the start and they're going to be in a scoping study, blah, 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 then we're, we're 10 years behind, maybe even 20 years behind. Mm. But if nothing comes of it, if there's not that advocacy, then we're probably 40 years behind. Because the, you know what's happening in Tasmania with trails. You know there's there's a bit of controversy about what kind of trails and that are they too touristy. Um, there's that same discussion happening in New South Wales, in Victoria, in Queensland. Mm. The whole East Coast, every single one of those states is trying really hard, mm. and they're all fighting to to get their voices heard. And it's been really since the 90s that we've had major projects go ahead yes you know Mundabidi happened maybe in the last 10 years that it was finished mm. but Bilberman Track Cape to Cape that's not good enough that you stop there that needs to be followed up with more and we're not there yet and I, I'm optimistic that something might eventually happen and I'm I'm going to be 50 by that time mm. um you're maybe maybe a bit pessimistic being part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's just so much potential. But then I can see the other side of the coin is WA just doesn't have the money. We don't have the population. But again, you kind of need to take that leap of faith if you're going to try and spend money that people will then come. 
Yeah. Um, and like they, Lara Pinta wouldn't yeah. have. They, they've got no money. They, they're broke in Northern Territory. And yet the, we went to the trail strategy and the guy from the Northern Territory just had a proposal for a mountain bike trail that wasn't like a hardcore mountain bike trail. It was a beginner's trail. Mm. And someone came into his office, looked at it and then threw 10 or $12 million at him and said, go get that done. Like that's never going to happen in WA. And we were shocked and like, I was just <laughs> looking around being like, everyone is so jealous of this man <laughs> Yeah, that their government just wants to throw money at them. Mm. Um I mean, it's just, there's so much potential in WA and we keep going back to mines need to be reopened or we need to keep a sawmill going to, you know, keep country towns alive. But you put trails in and people have jobs and people visit and spend money and we just can't get over that hump of resources mm. running the state. And I mean, resources should be paying for all of these trails as well, but exactly. that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Because I mean, you look at Tasmania, so I think, you know, Northern Western Australia in particular is very similar, even though a completely different landscape, is very mm. similar to Tasmania in that it's wilderness, it's it's different, it's so different to, the, to other places, mm. and yet it's just geared up for grey nomads who are doing the big lap. Mm. Why isn't there a trail there? Yes, I know there's crocodiles, but there's crocodiles in Darwin. You know, there's there's yeah. there's heat, there's massive heat issues in Darwin. They close the trails. You know, um, these are not insurmountable problems. You just need to have imagination and the will. And I just don't feel that we're there yet. Mm. Anyway, that's it's that's <laughs> probably a, a pod that we needed to do a, a longer discussion on, and I think. We were planning on it, but the um, the person who wrote the strategy document um, sadly has left for Tasmania, <laughs> so <laughs> we can't have her on. Um, so we'll move on. And it's kind of a good one leading on from that trail strategy document is what would be a dream area in the Perth Hills for a new trail? Hmm. So I think that there's... <laughs> I think Monadnox would have been a great place, but they've ruined it because of the mine. Mm. Um, I think that there's a lot more potential there. Um, otherwise, I think that Avon Valley is a place that has a lot of opportunities. Mm. Look, there's there's so many places. that the, There's granite, there's rugged scenery. I think the problem in Western Australia in the Perth area is that there's too many walks that are basically like, well, what did it amount to? It was a walk through forest, and that was it. Mm. But we have great rugged scenery. And yes, it's not tall by international standards, but on a human scale, it's tall. Mm. And we could do more with that. So, yeah, between those two places, I think that there's a lot of opportunities. But there's more places, you know, like uh, on the other side of the of the scarp where it's more Wandu. Mm. There's a lot there that we could be doing. Um, Bobakine, Clackline... Um, those nature reserves are worthy, mm. but there's nothing. Yeah, for me, I mean, you raise a really good point because one thing I always think of, and there's been so much controversy this year about that secret waterfall near Bells Rapids, mm. that's what people want. They want to go to those places. Mm. And from what I can tell, all along the Avon Valley, there's a fair amount of that. And the fact that Avon Valley National Park has no walking trails is... Like it's almost a crime, mm. um, but for me, I kind of I was thinking either Wangong mm. um, or 
which will never happen. Um, the area around Mundaring Weir and Lake Sewer O'Connor, I think that need, has mm. so much potential for some amazing multi-day, day hike, like circuit walks that you could do. Um, but obviously the water corp will probably never let people in that area. No. Um, but yeah, Avon Valley, um, Wongong, which I thought Wongong was lost to the mountain biking strategy document, but that looks like they're not going to do anything with that. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you visited that area um, recently, mm. but further west of that, down through the gorge, I think has a lot of potential. Yeah. I think, again, you know, I'll bring it up again, the worthiness. You know, you've got to think about areas that would be interesting to people and granite outcrops are interesting to people. Mm. And granite outcrops as well are not, they're not driven by fire you know like if a fire goes through it can still be interesting we did one gong after the fires it was mm. still interesting and that's something you need to think about i think granite these days is really hard to get through it an is. environmental process yeah um but if you could get granite boulders let's say and mm. not necessarily walking on granite i think that's the same and same with the waterfalls there's a, a probably a huge number of rapids around um yeah purse hills that no one knows about or very few people know about that could be the highlight of a few trails so. yeah like the helena valley walk gps trail takes mm. you past beautiful granite boulders and mm. takes you to sections of the river downstream of the dam mm. where there's like nama holes and stuff yeah. fantastic scenery yeah. but no trail unless you go along the mundabiti or the yeah. golden helena pipeline <laughs> yeah <laughs> valley walk um so moving on favorite episode you've recorded so far you go first, <laughs> first. Oh, i didn't actually really think about this one um i think we've had some amazing guests i think over 50 episodes it's been fun any podcast with steve is always really fun but then i also enjoy kind of the philosophical ones about hiking. So the the round table we did on Hike Your Own Hike, that was a fun one. The year in review one, I enjoy. I often listen to that one um, a couple of times <laughs> a year. I don't know, it's just, there's a fair few that I've enjoyed. Um, having Erica on as well to do Fitzgerald River was amazing to, to get her knowledge. And then also the fire pod that we did to get um, Hannah in to talk about a different perspective and the ecology of it all. Mm. Uh, I think we've we've done quite well for fifty episodes in terms of guests. Yeah, I think so. I I really enjoyed maybe because we weren't involved the, mm. the women in yeah, hiking actually, one. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That was a really good episode. I think because I I got a chance to be outside of it. Yeah. So I enjoyed that, um, and I think it was it was the right thing to do. You know, to hand it over and mm. and let the women talk about yeah the things that they wanted to talk about i think it would have been a big kind of um oh, what's the word i'm looking for here yeah we wouldn't have read the room very well had we have hosted that one and <laughs> asked yeah. questions i think it was best to hand it over and let just like an open discussion between um yeah four women that have done a lot of hiking and have different experiences on mm. those hikes as well yep mm. Do you have any others that you, you particularly enjoyed? Um, 
I've I've enjoyed ranting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you do so enjoy ranting. I, I enjoyed like um you know, I, I enjoyed for example talking about bailing up but how you know, the uh, the forest was all the same and you could put it in any order. Um Yeah, things like that. I, I enjoy sometimes just being able to have a have an avenue to, <laughs> to vent about things. The the Wilman Billia was yeah. a good one. Um, that yeah, that caused a bit of controversy, yeah. um, but I you know I like that. <laughs> okay, uh, when will there be a real trail talk TV show? That's a lot of work, man. It is. <laughs> I was thinking like when I got that one, and I was like, we don't even have have time for the podcast most of the time. <laughs> yeah, um, but it would be fun to do. I'm not sure what format it would come under. Look, if we can be paid to do it, then yeah. we'll talk about it. <laughs> I reckon like a five-minute like segment on a TV show or a YouTube channel. I can probably get a YouTube channel going. Um, but the thing is like we don't really hike together. Our schedules don't line up. Mm. Um, so for that reason, I'm not sure it would happen. But it would be a fun project to, to get through. Yeah. I'd say if you've got some money and you want to give it to us, then that's a, when it'll happen. <laughs> get a camera and a drone and some editing equipment. It'd be great. Yeah. 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 I often thought about having my own, being a YouTuber. <laughs> so you can smash that subscribe button. Like and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it would be less of me on camera because I don't think anyone wants to see that. It'd be more kind of short movies or videos about trails. It'd yeah. be like a, a side artistic project I'd love to do. Mm. Um, perhaps we could do that together <laughs> sometime <laughs> in the future. But again, Rich Benefactor, please come along and, and fund us. Yep. Okay. Uh, so what is a comfort that is not practical to bring with you that you would like on the trail? So I'm assuming this is multi-day trails um, hiking here. Mm. You go first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So the first thing I thought of was Karis, because mm-hmm. she asked this question. <laughs> and I was like, it's not very practical to carry her anywhere. Um, but she be, wouldn't want to do it. Exactly. Otherwise. She wouldn't want to do it. I'd have to carry her, but it'd be nice to have her. And I was like, no, that's silly. Um, so I thought a really, really nice armchair or comfortable chair. Because you can get those like lightweight hiking chairs that fold up, and thing, but it's not the same. Like, if you want to stop somewhere in the middle of a, a day or even at camp at night, having a nice, comfortable chair is just a really good luxury because mm. you're kind of limited to picnic table or log, and that's about it, especially on the Billman. Yeah. And I've often thought I've got a beach chair that kind of folds up into a, a frame that I could attach to the back of my backpack. So maybe in the future years I'll try that. But for now, a really comfortable chair would be my my thing yeah. what about you so there is an impractical thing that I do bring but it's tied to the impractical <laughs> thing that I would want to have is so, it the thing that I think it is it is I, think, I don't think I've ever talked about it have I not I think we might have I think, only, I think I talked about it at the Bibbleman thing oh yeah, yeah you did. Not, okay. not on the show so well, listeners be prepared <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing that I do not like about overnight hiking is the sleeping the sleeping sucks. It's just everything is compromised. And it's not the same. Like when, when, when you do car camping, you can pack a nice inflatable bed. 
you can have actual pillows. But if you're going to save weight on what you carry, you're going to have to make compromises. So my thing would be, I wish I could have like a hotel quality pillow and a mattress that was actually comfortable. Then basically it would be perfect to me because mm-hmm. I'm just not satisfied. So the impractical thing that I do carry and I'm really outing myself on this one is that as part of my sleep system, I have a teddy bear. <laughs> just a teddy bear. What's his name? His name is Boris. <laughs> And he's my childhood teddy bear. <laughs> and a lot of it is the neck support that he offers because, you know, you tuck the, the bear's head in around the neck. And because pillows aren't quite enough, like this this is an essential part of the sleep system, um, as well as being a mascot. You know, a lot of people carry their be- carry a bear as a mascot. Is but he a mascot if you never talk about him or have him in pictures, though? I have pictures, but they're private pictures. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, there won't be any more because they'll be going on the Instagram. <laughs> so, yeah, Boris is a very well-traveled bear. He's been to every state, I think, except for no, he hasn't been to South Australia. Um, but he'll be going to New Zealand, and that'll be interesting because normally I've been able to keep it a bit quiet, but yeah. this will be in a busy hut. In New Zealand. Yeah. Here's my teddy bear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, Boris weighs about 250 grams or 200 grams, something like that, which is is not practical. Mm. He takes up a lot of space as well. He does. I mean, he does does compact down. Mm. You know, I put him in one of those rollerbacks. (laughs) But it helps me sleep. You know, like having Boris is uh, a luxury that I'm prepared to to deal with the extra weight for. Mm. So, yeah. When I first found out about Boris, I was like, that's actually really smart because I, like, I don't sleep at home with my pillow. I don't sleep it as like uh, perpendicular to myself. Mm. I kind of hug it. This is kind of like, I don't even know why, but and as a kid, I had one of those L-shaped pillows. Yep. I really want another one of those. And Boris serves that purpose of you've got that comfort on your neck but you've also got something to do with your hands which and your yeah. arms so everyone should have a boris we should release a, a boris line of, we we have talked about making ultralight borises yeah. and like just like copying his face and everything <laughs> but then making a range of them for people to have as part of their sleep system so if people are interested yeah. <laughs> i think we should do that <laughs> all right um this one we kind of we ummed and ahed at because we don't really think about this when we're hiking, but the highest calorie slash lightweight, yummiest snack for the trail. Hmm. So I, th- I don't really snack a lot on the trail, but the things that we generally bring, uh, we, we used to bring jelly beans. We don't do that anymore. Generally, we bring trail mix now because trail mix is healthier. Um, and also... You know, having having nuts and sweetness is, is a better mix than just sugar. Mm. Um, and we sometimes have jerky as well, which is not, you know, again, this is not high calorie stuff. Maybe if there's a bit of a challenging day, we have uh, a Mars bar or something like that as a treat. It's like, oh, you've, you know, you've done something hard. Mm. But that's basically it. You know, I don't really look at bringing high calorie stuff. It's not like, you know, if you're doing like 10 days and having to do water carries and you don't have a, re, a restock, 
then maybe that matters. Mm. But the longest I've done is eight days without a restock. So I don't really need that extra calories um, in as small a packet as possible. Mm. Yeah, this one kind of got me because I, I, we've talked about this before, I, I lose my appetite out on the trail. Mm. So today at work, I was a little bit bored and I, I, I mean, I had blueberries for breakfast and I had my normal lunch and a mandarin, but I was so hungry when I got home. Mm. But out on a trail, I'll have a cliff bar for breakfast and granted they have 10 or 11 grams of protein and they're fairly substantial and leave you full but I'll have a cliff bar for breakfast or some muesli and a cliff bar for lunch and I'll get to the end of the day I'm not hungry at all I just have dinner because I need to and I don't really think about calorie intake on a hike I mean granted I only do seven days at a time but we did meet a runner at the Murray Hut um, when I was doing dwelling up to Collie and he had this like eight or nine hundred calorie concoction that was cacao powder protein powder chia and a few other things and he mixed that up the night before he went to when he went to bed and then he'd have that for breakfast in the morning Hmm. so that was a pretty cool idea it was like a chocolatey chia pudding basically Um, so that was probably what I would go for because you can soak it overnight and you don't need to carry that weight Mm. Um, and I guess kind of those raw protein balls are another fantastic way of doing it. Because when you're out hiking, it's not necessarily the calorie intake you need, it's protein as well. Yep. Um, so, yeah, anything with a, a protein base um, that's easy to digest, I guess, mm. is probably good. Yeah, I agree. I think, I, as, as you say, I'm not someone who, like, calculates how many calories I need and stuff. Mm. I know what will I'll be filled with, and that's enough. Yeah. yeah, and part of the fun of going on like a week long hike is like getting to the end. You're like, ooh, look yeah, I know. I look. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I look forward to losing a bit of weight on a hike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, think I finished the movement. I got an album. I was at the the guest house. I was staying. I was in the mirror. I was like, damn. <laughs> you can see those abs you're, for the first time in years. <laughs> back to um, Costa Rica, Mark. Oh, not quite, um, <laughs> but fairly close. <laughs> But that one won't be going on the Instagram. <laughs> um, okay, so this one is from a New Zealand hiker who did the bib. I crossed paths with her last year. Oh, cool. Very briefly. We didn't actually talk. Um, but she said or asked, top three hikes that you would like to do but haven't done yet. And then in brackets, anywhere in the world. So not limiting anything. Mm. So I think we've talked about this with Dream Trails. But has anything changed since then? So I think... You know, I've talked probably ones that I'm like, oh, I just want to do it now. Um, Log of Vigo in um, Iceland, which was on, on that episode. Yeah. West Coast Trail, still really want to do that. And the Thorsman Trail, which I've booked into. But last time I booked into it, um, I quit my job, so I didn't, yeah. couldn't do it. So I have this like fear that I won't be able to do it. So that that's how I feel. Like it, even though it's within grasp, I'm booked in to do it next year in July. There's like, will I actually get it done? Mm. So those are my three. Uh, my three. Oh god, I'm trying to. The Altavia. Altavia. In the Dolomites. Um, that's definitely number one. Patagonia is probably number two. Mm. And I'm going to cheat a little bit here and not give a hike, but an area is I really want to get to Hawaii and just do all the hiking there that I can. Yeah. Um, I know that wasn't on my list, but I've seen 
lots and lots and lots of photos from different hikes around there and it is fantastic area i just i think it's on the plan with the next couple of years is to go to hawaii so mm. that's an area i'd love to explore um quite a lot yeah we've we've also earmarked that in the near future but um yeah I'd just with everything i'm just always just like we'll just see yeah <laughs> yeah but thorsman is one that i'll be disappointed if we don't get to do it because i've sort of got my heart set on it and I booked I was booked in like I had the ticket yeah. and then couldn't do it yeah alright final question of our 50th episode Q&A this one will be relevant and it might actually not make sense to anyone but those that know us which dog do you like more <laughs> Sadie or Kit <laughs> and these I should say are Mark's dogs Mark's dogs so there's some background behind this on my personal Instagram um, I posted a poll because Karis noticed she she posted two photos of dogs um, of our dogs on Instagram stories and Kit got all the reactions of the hard eyes and everything because everyone loves Kit Karis is like, why Sadie is, is so great? So I did on my personal Instagram a poll and had the two photos of the dogs with the, the question, Kit or Sadie. And Aaron, who sent in this question, was a bit of a joke. Um, he couldn't answer, and then he answered with his own dog, which is cheating Aaron and just wrong. Yep. So <laughs> I guess we kind of have to answer. I'll let you go first because they're, they're not your dogs, but you have looked after them <laughs> yeah. on a, a few occasions. So I'll, I'll, I'll be the objective voice here because I know both of these dogs and I'll, I'll let people know what they're like. <laughs> <laughs> so Sadie is a moody bitch. <laughs> she likes to be top dog and she likes everyone to know that she's top dog. Um, but she's very intelligent, loves playing and if you want to, you know, like get her to do stuff, you can like, you know, put a ball in a place that's a bit hard to reach and she'll try to figure it out. And you can see her, you know, her, the, the cogs going. You look at that face and you know that there's, there's something going on in that brain. Kit is an absolutely gorgeous dog. He looks like a miniature uh, Border Collie. Um... But he does not have the intelligence of what a colleague. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> he is a very stupid dog. <laughs> um, but he is gorgeous and he's lovely. Um, and Alyssa loves picking him up and going, Here's my little kid, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my answer is that I prefer Sadie because I like playing games with Sadie. And Sadie, I think, also. She she likes to... I think she as, as, assumed that I was the alpha in the house mm. and then wanted to impress me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you, you go for that, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I enjoy hanging out with Sadie for that reason. I thought you might. Yeah, yeah so one, one tick for Sadie. So a bit of context for those that have never seen my dog. So I think I took my the page off my website that had Sadie on there when Kit came along. But Sadie is a Kelpie Jack Russell. So she's the size of a Jack Russell, but she looks like a Kelpie. So she always looks like a puppy. And Kit is a Papillon. So kind of little yappy dog, um, fluffy tail. Um, we learned the other day, Karis got reminded the other day, um, Papillon is French for butterfly. So mm -hmm. he has little butterfly ears. And yeah, very, very cute dog, but 
not athletic at all, not smart. Um, <laughs> he's a dum-dum. <laughs> so my answer is I love my both my I love my dogs equally, but I love more one is more equal than the other and <laughs> that is Sadie. Um, cuz she was the first dog that we got and as a kid growing up, my dad refused um, to let us have a dog. And I actually remember running away from home a couple of times. Well, not running away, but like storming out and threatening to run away down the street, yelling at my dad like, you're so mean, you won't let have a dog. And I just couldn't understand. So eventually accepted it. And then as soon as we bought a house, I was like, we're getting a dog. And then Sadie came along and she is the apple of my eye. She is a daddy's girl. Yep. Um, whereas Kit, Kit actually got um, when we, we both of them are rescue dogs, and Kit actually got described as a mini border collie. And we got to the there's a home that this lady had um, through the rescue group, and there's like twelve dogs there. And we looked at Kit, and we're like, he's not a he's not a border collie. <laughs> <laughs> but we took him anyway, and it, it took a while for his personality to come out. But he's he's a sweet, loving boy, and yeah. He just walks a lot, that sort of thing. He, he's interesting to take on a car ride with because he goes ah, 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 Actually, ah, the well, whole time. Both of them are because if it's raining and you're in the car, Sadie will try and eat the windscreen wipers from inside yes. the car and she is very aggressive. Like you say she's an intelligent dog, but after all these years, <laughs> she hasn't realized the windscreen wipers are on the outside. Yeah. We had to like have her like hold her lead to prevent her from like attacking the windscreen. Mm. And when we got out of the car, she just gave us evil. She was like, how dare you? I wanted to get it the whole time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks for thanks for listening in <laughs> if you have no idea what we're talking about. Um, I guess it's our 50th episode. We can do what we want. Yeah. Um, but on, the same, on that token, thank you very much for listening. It's been great to hear your support and your feedback um, through emails and comments and everything. I hope everyone enjoys the topics that we, we put up. Mm. I know there's, there's one bushwalking forum where someone said, you just skip through the boring bits. <laughs> <laughs> that's one guy. Yeah, that's know? one guy. Yeah. Um, and I guess not every topic is for everyone, but um, for those regular listeners that do tune in, thank you. Yeah, um, we really do appreciate it. Yeah, and hopefully there's another 50 more on the way. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully, we can get there. I think we can. We yeah. can do 100. We'll eke out. Even if we talk about individual trails, Shire have come on the trail. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get to 50. Yeah. Oh, sorry, we'll get to 100. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. You know, it's been real a real pleasure, and um, it's been a pleasure to see that, you know, people have enjoyed the, the podcast. If you do have any other episode ideas that you want to let us know about, please email us at realtrailtalk at gmail.com or message us on Facebook or Instagram. And um, if you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Real Trail Talk, then give us a rating on Podbean or iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to us on. Ratings really help us in terms of reaching an audience. So, yeah, we really appreciate it if you if you could, if you have the time. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back with the first episode of our next 50 episodes in two weeks. Yes. Thank you.